following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 822 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the enthusiastic Brittany Page, everybody. So there's this thing that happens where you'll be in a less than ideal mood and we'll be going somewhere and I'll say to you, oh, we're going to have such a great time. I can't wait to go to dinner. <laughs> And we're kind of having one of those moments right now where you're... Oh, are we going to go to dinner? That would be fucking great right now. No, where you're in a really good mood to be doing the show. And I think it's going to be a great show (laughs) for that reason. (laughs) Do you want to talk about what's going on with your mood? No, I don't. Okay. Just kind of a tired guy. Well, not not everybody all the time can be... In in show form, in yeah. performance mode, mm-hmm. and I am not right now. Okay, well, let's... so maybe we should just play the fucking disclaimer drop right now, because who knows oh. what's going to happen? Okay, <laughs> who fucking knows? If you feel like it's going to be that kind of situation, I don't know. We'll see. Are you going to play it? We have to see. No, no. Oh, okay. We'll just play it when it happens. All right. Well, I know you've been waiting to get to your follow up on your Mister T reference that you had on the last episode yeah i don't know how we got there we were talking about you're uh, always eager oh, it to was talk the tripping about it. thing it was that I, that i tripped yeah and felt stupid and, on your flip-flop yeah and and how why is it that we're so fragile mm-hmm. that doing something that everybody does mm-hmm trips from time to time right is like a mortifying experience like i'm so embarrassed like who fucking cares yeah and i remembered in the moment being in like a church camp or a vacation bible school or some bullshit where they played and yes it's bullshit where they played some video of mr t like how to be cool and when you trip you just play it off Mm mm-hmm and I saw something online or somebody tweeted at us about it. And it made me think, oh, I bet I could find a clip of that. Mm-hmm. So it was on YouTube. And here's the exact thing that I was talking about. Oh, hi there. I'm Dr. T. Have you ever been embarrassed, ashamed, or exposed? I mean, done something so absolutist that you wish you could have moved to a deserted island and had your head in the sand? I mean, check this out. Kid skipping down the sidewalk. He trips, and some fat loser is laughing at him. Now, how can that little brother recoup? Let's run that again. Same kid skipping down the street, same trip, and then he does some twirly whirl breakdancing. Everybody claps for him. The fat guy goes to turn and walk, and then he trips. Ooh. Is that recouping? And then they all laugh at him. So next time you find yourself in an absolute situation, Mr. T, don't go hide your head. Anyway, and then Mr. T walks out from behind the desk with his lab coat, because remember, he's Dr. T. Yeah. And he doesn't have pants on. 
Oh. And then Mr. T, uh, what an embarrassing situation. So it's strange that the that the moral of the tale here isn't don't be embarrassed that you tripped. Mm-hmm. It's act like a dumbass by doing breakdancing. You'll fool everybody and they'll clap for your performance. And then the fat guy, when he trips, yeah, fuck that guy. He tripped. What an asshole. <laughs> Very strange. I mean, I can see why this stood out to you. Well, really. Even as a kid, I think I mentioned last time, I was like, eh, mm-hmm. this doesn't seem like great advice. Yeah, it's not. It's not good advice. Because if you trip, mm-hmm. not if, when you trip, if you turn around and look at the a sidewalk or you blame something, everybody knows, ah, you just tripped. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Just anyway. move along. Move along. I love the internet. Yeah. Was that second move along like a code for me to move along here? No. <laughs> it is nice how you can find everything on YouTube, though. Anything that you want is going to be on YouTube. There's a song that I love that I cannot find anywhere. It's I can't buy it on iTunes. I can't play it on Spotify. I found a, an, a record of it that like you can actually buy a record on eBay of the song. It's like $400 or yeah, something, Yeah, very right? expensive. But the song is on YouTube. So then one I'm, version, yeah. one, one, one video of it. Yes. So one thing that happened this past week, well, it made the rounds on the internet again. Apparently it happened a few months ago, but Dr. Oz went grocery shopping <laughs> and Jesse, you and I did not know the word that Dr. Oz uses in this video. I had to look it up when he is shopping. What is the word? Crudite. And what does the word mean? Veggie tray. <laughs> no, crudite is like a vegetable platter with like hummus or some kind of a dip in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a fucking veggie tray. I was going to say, right? why are you? <laughs> so I looked tray. it up because I'm like, crudite, what? What is it? Like, what is this? Like you had never heard the word. Never heard the word. Yeah. Or if I did, I didn't register because I didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. It, it must be a product of grown up poor or... Where we grew up, like in the Northwest. Yeah, I had never heard the word before, and I was watching this video of Dr. Oz shopping. And, well, let's just, let's listen to it, and then we'll kind of recap. I thought I'd do some grocery shopping. I'm at Wegner's, and I, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So here's a broccoli. That's two bucks. Not a ton of broccoli there. There's some asparagus. That's $4. Yep. Carrots. That's four more dollars. That's ten dollars of vegetables there, and then we need some guacamole. That's four dollars more. And she loves salsa. Yeah, there's salsa there. Six dollars must be a shortage of salsa, guys. That's twenty dollars for crudite, and this doesn't include the tequila. I mean, that's outrageous. And we got Joe Biden to thank for this. Doctor Oz, man of the people. $20 for a crudite. No one knows what it means. Only rich people, I guess. And <laughs> well, also, the other thing, because I was trying to use context clues when I was trying to figure out what the fuck a crudite was. Yeah. And he's, he grabbed asparagus and like a big giant package of carrots. Like a five pound bag of carrots. Yeah. So I was like, well, what, what is he, what is a crudite? What could it be with asparagus and carrots and then salsa and guacamole? And, and a tiny head And then of he's whining about tequila. Yeah. I just, what is he? What? Yeah. And then I did see, after I learned what a crudite was, people Mm -hmm. like, who puts fucking asparagus stalks 
on their veggie tray. Yeah. Like, well, that's just a recipe for for a, a bad smelling pea time. Yeah. Well, I think also that. Also, raw asparagus. Meh. Yeah. This wasn't really well planned by the Dr. Oz campaign in Pennsylvania because he also didn't know the name of the store that he was in. Appar- oh, right. Apparently, Wegner's is not. A store. Well, I think he thought he was in a Wegmans, but he wasn't even in a Wegmans. He was in some other store, but he's just such an aloof dumb fuck who likely doesn't shop for himself. I mean, he probably has people do that for him because he's so exceedingly wealthy. Yes. Yeah. That it was just, I mean, his entire campaign, you're like, oh, they weren't really thinking. Every time they log on to Twitter and try to own John Fetterman, they're not really thinking. Well, and again, this was another instance where this, this just went so poorly for the Oz campaign, and John Fetterman has raised a lot of money on this specific issue on Twitter. In Pennsylvania, Republican candidate Dr. Mehmet Oz has been taking hits for a video about shopping for groceries and the high price of crudite. His opponent, Democrat John Fetterman, quick. By the way, if you don't recognize the voice, that's Bill Hemmer from Fox News. Mm -hmm. This is Fox News dragging Dr. Oz and his crudite. Mocking Dr. Oz, saying it shows that he is just out of touch with ordinary Pennsylvanians. Have a look. In PA, we call this a veggie tray. And if this looks anything other than a veggie tray to you, then I am not your candidate. Brian Yanis live in our newsroom, having a little fun with each other, but this is a serious race up there in Pennsylvania. Yeah, no doubt about it, Dana. It is a serious race. In a viral video, you see Dr. Oz. He's walking around a grocery store where he's talking about how inflation is really hitting Americans hard and it's making things more expensive in grocery stores, especially that crudité. I started doing some grocery shopping. I'm at Wegner's, and uh, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite. Guys, that's $20 for crudite, and this doesn't include the tequila. Now, Fetterman attacked Dr. Oz on Twitter as being out of touch, noting most people in Pennsylvania call it a veggie tray, and the supermarket chain is called Wegmans, not Wegner's. And Fetterman raised over $500,000 in just 24 hours while giving out Wegner's Let Them Eat Crudite bumper stickers. Dr. Oz said, look, uh, he was exhausted campaigning when he made the video in April, and sometimes he even gets his kids' names wrong. Then, Fetterman attacked Dr. Oz for owning 10 properties with a photo of a Monopoly board with 10 homes on one space, tweeting, POV, you are Dr. Oz playing a board game. He then noted that Monopoly was invented in New Jersey, a swipe at Dr. Oz for having lived in Jersey for three decades. Now, Dr. Oz responded saying, I purchased my homes with my money. You lived off your parents until you were almost 50. Get off the couch, John. I purchased my homes with my money. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, fucking Oprah. Yeah, well, I and mean, again, he was a heart surgeon before that, but... Again, he is someone who goes on Sean Hannity and talks about, I'm the son of immigrants, and the whole point is you come to this country, you work hard, and you can achieve the American dream. And I'm just so disgusted by candidates who continue to trot out these talking points. I, I don't yeah. understand why more people do not find this just nauseating because saying that he worked hard and not talking about how he 
hit the jackpot in being able to go on Oprah's show and create the following that he then gained by going on Oprah's show and becoming a figure because he went on Oprah's show. I mean, he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars more than a normal heart surgeon. I mean, he's it's because of Oprah. It's because of that particular lottery ticket. Right. That he's who he is. Yeah, so he wants to talk about hard work allowed him to achieve the quote-unquote American dream. Is that owning 10 houses? 10 houses is the American dream. You've achieved a lot more, buddy, and that's come through luck. And if you could acknowledge that, that would be very helpful because there's millions of Americans who work really hard who are never going to own even one home. Yeah. uh, Well, the other side of that is... That he worked so hard to earn his 10 homes. The other side of that is if you don't own the 10 homes, you just didn't work hard enough. Mm -hmm. And if that's not what he's saying, if he was to to, to deny that, then he is admitting that luck plays an outsized role. Mm -hmm. But he's not going to say that Mm because they always want to fucking yammer on about the quote unquote American dream. Yeah. So good. Keep failing with your campaign. And John Fetterman, keep rocking Oz's world with your campaign. <laughs> we actually contributed. Yeah. Uh, I ordered, uh, not ordered, you, you got a free sticker. It's a round sticker that says Wegner's, like a, the grocery, they made a grocery store, mm-hmm. home of the crudite or whatever. <laughs> Pretty funny. Or let them eat crudite. Yeah. So. I think it's I think it's great. Good work. Good team uh, surrounding Fetterman with the, 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 the di- digital team. They're experts at the Twitter. Absolutely. And and we're hoping that Fetterman wins in Pennsylvania. So if, if this continues this way and Oz just continues to be ridiculed, I think it will be perfect. <laughs> so, so, so good. So in Trump world, there is a battle brewing between Donald Trump and the Justice Department because the Justice Department is opposing unsealing the Trump FBI search warrant affidavit. They say that by revealing it, it would compromise ongoing investigations. It would possibly yeah. expose the identities of witnesses and, and may prevent other people from coming forward and actually cooperating with the investigation. Generally jeopardizing the case against Donald Trump. Yes, and so they oppose it. Donald Trump is calling for it to be revealed as well as news agencies. Yeah, they want to know. Right. Yeah. But the Justice Department's position right now is opposing revealing it. We turn now to the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. Former President Donald Trump overnight calling for the immediate release of the search affidavit while the Department of Justice has asked a judge to keep that affidavit in the case sealed. Catherine Herridge is outside the DOJ for us this morning. Catherine, good morning. Good morning, Tony. While a federal judge has the final say in new court filings, the Justice Department says revealing the underlying evidence for the search warrant could jeopardize their ongoing case. According to court filings late Monday, prosecutors said unsealing the law enforcement affidavit would cause significant and irreparable damage, serve as a roadmap to the government's ongoing investigation, and chill future cooperation by witnesses. Several media outlets, including CBS News, petitioned the court to unseal the document that convinced a federal 
federal judge to authorize the search at Mar-a-Lago last Monday. After that search and subsequent political controversy, federal authorities warned of increased threats to law enforcement. And on Monday, a Pennsylvania man, Adam Bees, was in court, accused in a federal complaint of making multiple threats online against law enforcement after the Florida search. Among them, if you work for the FBI, then you deserve to die. Former President Trump told Fox News Monday that he has reached out to the DOJ to offer his help amid the growing threats against law enforcement, saying the temperature has to be brought down. While live, the online chatter is general. The intelligence memo says there are specific evidence about proposed targets, including addresses, weapons, and tactics, Nate. Catherine, thank you. This is another thing that really fucking grinds my gears, Brittany Page. <laughs> and that is that as if we haven't learned anything from Donald Trump and his tactics, his his rhetorical tactics, that he's, I've reached out to the DOJ and I want to bring the temperature down. It's important for the country. Aww. Yet if you go to his fucking truth social, it's doing anything but bringing the temperature down. It's continuing to to implicate the, the the FBI and the DOJ with no evidence whatsoever that they've planted evidence and everything else. It's it's a fucking nightmare. It's so you don't get to say, let's march up to the Capitol peacefully, and then everything else you say supports the incitement of violence. Right. But he wants to be able to say, oh, I said peacefully. You can't talk about the other stuff because I said the word peacefully. It's the same with this. For sure. Well, and now he's acting like, I, I want to be of assistance. I want to help. Right. Uh, where was that help and assistance when they were trying to get the classified information from Mar-a-Lago? Back in June. Right. And then your attorneys signed a letter saying that it wasn't there. I mean, come on. But now we have the judge in this case that is saying that they actually want the Mar-a-Lago search affidavit to be released, but they want the Justice Department to figure out which portions of that affidavit they are going to have redacted prior to the release. The nation is one step closer to seeing parts of the affidavit that allowed the FBI to search former President Trump's Florida home. The Department of Justice has been asked to file a redacted version of the document. CBS News' Bradley Blackburn joins us from the newsroom with more on the legal battle over the Mar-a-Lago search affidavit. Bradley? Chris, Mary, the DOJ has argued that releasing that affidavit could compromise ongoing investigations. But yesterday, the same judge who approved the FBI search did not agree. He said he is inclined to unseal some of it and ask the DOJ to black out sensitive details. But he will have the final authority on what, if anything, is released. Federal Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt is giving the Justice Department one week to propose redactions to the affidavit, which led to the search of President Trump's residence in Mar-a-Lago. Judge Reinhardt seemed to have a very good uh, sense that it is his job as the gatekeeper in this case to perform his function of balancing the interest in the public of accessing these materials against the interest in the government in keeping them secret. On Thursday, attorneys representing media organizations, including CBS News, asked the judge to make parts of the affidavit behind the search warrant public. The Justice Department pressed for it to be sealed, arguing that its release would undermine an investigation that's still in its early stages. For the most part, we're not going to see the core 
of what we're all very interested in, none of which will be good news for former President Trump. The development comes a little more than a week after the FBI seized classified and top secret information during the search. In other Trump legal woes, the former chief financial officer of the Trump organization pleaded guilty to not paying taxes on $1.5 million in compensation. Alan Weisselberg could now be called to testify if a case against the Trump organization goes to trial. And the judge in Florida also ordered the DOJ to release other records, which include information on the alleged crimes that are being investigated. We now know that they include willful retention of national defense information, the concealment or removal of government records, and obstruction of a federal investigation. Chris, Mary? Bradley, thank you. Very quickly, before we get into the the, the meat of this topic, this clip, uh, Alan Weisselberg, they said in there that he could be forced to testify if brought to court, if Donald Trump is brought to court. That's because he pled guilty. He pleaded guilty to all of everything. So now there's no risk of incriminating himself because he will have been convicted of it already. So he can't say, oh, I don't want to incriminate myself. You're already convicted. Mm -hmm. So he will not have the option of declaring the fifth, pleading the Fifth Amendment, um, and risking self-incrimination. Right. But but the other part of this, so, several people have, have, have DM'd me this on Twitter and like, oh, this is so great that this could be uh, un, uh, unveiled or released, redacted or not. I think it would be good for us, people in the media, the, 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 the news networks, and it would be good for Donald Trump. And because of that, I think it would be bad for the country because of the fact that there are lots of people involved in this who are working undercover on behind the scenes who are allies, quote unquote, of Donald Trump, and they might be outed. I mean, if if you if you find out kind of the sources and methods when you're Donald Trump, you can look this way and that way and like put the pieces together and be like, oh, okay, these are five or ten people who it may be and then deal with them in a very Donald Trump way. Mm-hmm. So I'm generally, I mean, I would love to see what's going on, but I want I want the government to have the strongest case as well because Donald Trump needs consequences. And you're concerned that if it is released, even redacted, with redacted portions, that that's going to be a net positive for Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, uh, justice is absolutely paramount here not just our curiosity or our ability to to talk about it and 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 do shows and and videos it's it's more important that donald trump seek uh or or receive um justice well justice may be paramount for you jesse but i'll tell you what's paramount for donald trump and that's the temperature (laughs) and he really is working hard to get that temperature under control and Tucker Carlson is also concerned about the temperature, and he's so concerned that he attacked establishment Republicans mm-hmm. that are agreeing, uh, agreeing with Biden's Department of Justice. There's nothing to see here. That's the line. And no doubt Asa Hutchinson and Mitch McConnell and Dan Crenshaw and the rest of them will be telling you the very same thing when the Biden Justice Department or some other state law enforcement agency under their influence finally does what you know they're going to do, which is indict Donald Trump. Obviously, they're going to do that. 
Who knows how? Maybe they'll produce surveillance video from Mar-a-Lago. Apparently, they've already subpoenaed that. We'll spend the next year talking about how it shows Trump mishandling classified information. Really? On the server? Remember the endless Russia collusion hoax? We're in for a lot more of that. They'll scream at how Trump is a criminal. And if you express any support for him or any interest in retaining, I don't know, the rights of free speech and due process, you're a criminal too. In fact, you are the threat. You're the threat. And just mentioning that you disagree with what is happening is an attack on our government. That's their style. Just the other day, after signing off of the Mar-a-Lago raid, your attorney general, Merrick Garland, came on stage to whine about how actually he was the victim here. He's the victim. Apparently some people disagreed with the raid So the FBI, the most heavily armed domestic law enforcement agency in the world, is now under threat from you. Right. You're the criminal. Our critics are in jail, but I got anonymous threats on Twitter. Poor me. Passive aggression is the defining characteristic of the left. If they started putting people in camps, NBC News would cheer them on and then attack you for complaining about it. How dare you? Violating our norms. We've always had camps. The FBI is... is, uh is the left. Do you see how he laughs off, quote unquote, anonymous threats on Twitter? Yeah. But when people show up to protest outside of a steakhouse, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, it's catastrophic. Oh, they they call it violent protests. And I don't, threats. I don't want to come across as though I'm agreeing with, with his characterization there of the, quote unquote, anonymous threats on Twitter. I mean, these are people that are making posts saying that they want to kill FBI agents and their families. They are showing up to FBI field offices. I mean, this is going beyond... There's already been violence. Yes, this is shooting nail guns. It's going beyond just anonymous Twitter comments. And for Tucker Carlson, as you can tell, he's not very concerned with the temperature because he's he is laughing off the threats as though they are unimportant. The, the, The the most striking thing about this clip for me is him preparing his audience for the eventuality that Donald Trump will be indicted and some of the evidence that might be released. Yeah, he said, obviously, they're going to indict. Right, and think about that from the perspective of what Tucker Carlson may or may not know already, Mm -hmm. because uh, he was palling around just a couple weekends ago at Bedminster with Donald Trump, just chuckle-hutting it up with Donald Trump (laughs) and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh He was flanked by both of those fucking idiots. Yeah. So uh, it is, I would say, if I'm predicting, it is likely... More likely than not that Tucker Carlson has some inside information here, and he's preparing the general Trump world of what is to come, what they're going to see. And if there is Donald Trump rifling through highly sensitive uh, uh, national defense intelligence on camera, on his own surveillance video, CCTV, it's... It's a slam fucking dunk case, and they are very, very worried about it. That's why they're getting it out there now to desensitize the audience. So when they see it, like, oh, they already said this. Yeah, we already knew this was coming. Yeah. Well, in typical Fox and Friends fashion, you have Steve Ducey that was attempting to address this temperature issue actually trying to surreptitiously encourage Donald Trump. That's what this seems like to communicate to his followers that they should maybe stop threatening to murder FBI agents and their family. Right. And in typical Fox and Friends fashion, you will see how Ainsley Earhart and Brian Kilmeade respond to Steve Ducey attempting to be somewhat reasonable. Which Ainsley Earhart? This 
Ainsley Earhart? What about country? the majority? Okay, the so majority. tired of protecting the minority. That's mm. the one. All right, here we go. We just know that right now, given the fact that there is a suggestion that there are a lot of online, very specific, apparently very specific threats against very specific agents uh, at the FBI and whatnot, it would it would be great for everybody to tamp down the, the rhetoric against the FBI because the FBI simply was doing what the DOJ asked them to do. The attorney general is the boss of the guy at the FBI, of all the people at the FBI. So, you know, with all of these threats going around, it would ultimately be great if the former president, who has always been a great supporter of law enforcement, uh. posed with a thousand police departments coast to coast, it would be great if he called for an end to the violent rhetoric against federal law enforcement, and in particular, the FBI that was just doing their job. But yeah. as Trey Gowdy pointed out last night, uh, for you to look at this situation and think that Democrats and Republicans have been treated the same over the last few years, you'd have to be looking at a different situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Greg leg Gutfeld, irons for Greg Navarro. Greg talked about that, too. He said, you know, it's interesting that the Democrats or progressives are now worried about protecting law enforcement when they weren't, right. you know, years ago during the raids. But no one is for the violence of FBI agents no. or, uh, you know, any of these individuals that are in law enforcement. Right. If you want to personify that search, look at the attorney general of the United States. Mayor Garland is the one who has staked his entire reputation on it. If there's something, if there's not something really big there, he's done. It is remarkable to me to listen to Brian fucking Kilmeade act as though, well, if you're not, if you're watching and you don't see that Republicans are being treated so much differently than Democrats, Peter Navarro's in leg irons, that's like complaining that bank robbers get treated differently than charity workers. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you've got your criminals who are committing crimes, right? who are being arrested for those crimes, and you're complaining that they're put into handcuffs when they're arrested. Mm-hmm. And then the party that isn't, isn't at this very moment committing the crimes and engaged in a pattern of obstruction of justice, they're not being arrested because there's nothing to arrest them for. Mm-hmm. It, it just boggles the fucking mind. Yeah, I would feel worse for Ainsley Earhart, always being talked over and her only references are to things that other people said. But I don't feel bad for her at all. And every time I hear clips of this show, I am horrified that there are people out there who look to these people as their thought leaders. Yeah, no shit. Anyway, we'd love to know what your thoughts are on all these talk all these topics up to this point. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. I doubt it is a listener supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. 
please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Stanley A. Stanley A. Shannon G. Shannon G. Michelle P. Michelle P. John L. John L. Samuel T. Samuel T. Jason B. Jason B. Brandon B. Brandon B. And then we want to give a shout out to Bryant R. Bryant R. Bryant R. Updated the pledge and became an annual Patreon member. Nice. Very exciting. Thank you so much for your support. We are getting down to the end of our time to enter the giveaway on Patreon. So if you were an existing Patreon before August 1st, you don't need to do anything. If you become a Patreon supporter before the end of the month, so before September 1st, you will be entered to win one piece of merch. We are giving away six pieces of merch, and three of those are going to the existing Patreon supporters that were there before August 1st. The remaining three are going to new Patreon supporters who become Patreon supporters during the month of August. If you are not able to support the show on Patreon, we gave another option where you can email idoubtit.dollamore.com and say that you want in on the giveaway. Give us your name and one reason that you like the show and you will be entered into the giveaway. We're planning on doing the drawing September first so you have about a week and a half left to enter the giveaway and we are going to do the drawing on Thursday, September 1st. So we're going to pull six names. We're going to message all of the winners on that day and ask about what you want from the Teespring store. It's going to be whatever you want. Sweatshirt, t-shirt, mug, sticker, tote. You get to choose from the store what you want and then we send it to you. And if you would like to preemptively look at what is in that store, go to dollamore.info and check out the bevy of loot. Yes. <laughs> and if you're there anyway and you want to buy something, well, you can support your show that way. Anyway, thank you guys. We appreciate all your support on Patreon and and listening and writing reviews and sharing our content on the internet. It is uh, great, and we appreciate you very much. All right, moving on. So, continuing the story about the saga of the, the, the highly sensitive documents that Donald Trump absconded to Mar-a-Lago with, so sensitive, in fact, let's remind everybody, that they couldn't even be generally described in public. We, we don't know to what extent that Donald Trump's legal um, liability is what, what it is right now related to his violation or, or, or alleged violation of the Espionage Act. But we do know that it's serious enough that there's an orbit of individuals who worked in the Donald Trump White House who are now being interviewed by federal authorities concerning this specific matter. Tonight, unraveling secrets behind the Mar-a-Lago search. A tight circle of former Trump White House officials with direct knowledge of how the former president handled classified materials are among those interviewed by the FBI, according to the New York Times, including White House counsel Pat Cipollone, deputy counsel Patrick Philbin, who were named in this letter by President Trump as his representatives to the National Archives. Also interviewed... 
Derek Lyons, who as staff secretary managed all documents that reached the president. Witness testimony remains confidential as a new clash pits former President Trump against the Department of Justice. Thursday in Florida, a federal magistrate will consider unsealing more documents. The former president used social media to render his judgment. In the interest of transparency, I call for the immediate release of the completely unredacted affidavit. Federal prosecutors signaled they are open to releasing some materials, but not the affidavit. That explains probable cause, writing, the affidavit would serve as a roadmap to the government's ongoing investigation and would likely chill future cooperation by witnesses. But Mr. Trump's Republican allies are turning up the pressure. We need the affidavit. Show your cards. Uh, Merrick Garland can't have it both ways. He can't give us the inventory, the warrant, without telling us why it was necessary to raid the former president's home. Among more than two dozen boxes seized from Mar-a-Lago, three passports belonging to the former president. One expired, one current, and his diplomatic passport swept up in the search. Prosecutors alerted Mr. Trump's counsel the passports could be picked up at the Washington field office Monday. But later, the former president claimed the FBI stole them. Trump aides tell NBC News the passports have been retrieved. Kelly, me, Kelly, joining me now, how did the passports get mixed up in all this in the first place? Well, Lester, an official familiar with what happened here tells me items seized are sorted before they go to investigators. And if things are found that are unrelated to the case, that may be personal items like the passports, they're returned. And based on this example being made public, we know that at least some evidence seized in Florida has been moved here to Washington, D.C. Not only that, it also tells us that the FBI and the DOJ are absolutely, without doubt, dotting their I's and crossing their T's and doing this by the books. That's what it tells you. You, sh- you, you I don't think our audience would, but you, you shouldn't come away from this saying, you know, oh, they stole the passports. No, it's that they inadvertently got taken with the, the, the contents that they seized with the search warrant. And they followed protocol, they followed procedures, and they returned the fucking passports. Well, and in the clip, you heard Lindsey Graham specifically talking about Merrick Garland. And this is a Republican tactic to pin everything on Merrick Garland as though this is completely orchestrated by him and only him when it is a federal court that authorized the search. And this was based on the required finding of probable cause. So Merrick Garland came forward and said that, yes, he approved the search warrant, but he is not the unilateral person. Yeah, there's, there's extraneous individuals, meaning federal judges, who don't, they don't just go, oh, Merrick Garland said, okay, You've got to prove your case to a judge. Right. So when you hear this from Republicans, know that it is a tactic. The other thing to keep in mind when you hear this from Republicans is now they're asking for the affidavits that supported the the, the search warrant. But before, they weren't asking for the affidavit. They were asking for the search warrant itself and the receipt mm-hmm. of, of items taken from the federal gov- by the federal government. But then once that was released, it was, oh, that's not good enough. Where's the affidavit? If you don't give that up, then you're hiding something. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a constant moving of the goalposts. Right. And now Donald Trump is trying to move the goalposts in terms of what he had, 
what he did with the information. Yeah. He declassified it. We talked about that last time. But what we didn't talk about is how Donald Trump felt about classified information during the campaign in 2016. On political corruption, we are going to restore honor to our government. We In are? my administration, I'm going to enforce all laws concerning the protection of classified information. No one will be above the law. No one will be above the law. Mm-hmm. It's a law, a law and order presidency to come from Donald Trump. August of 2016, this was. Mm-hmm. Remember what was happening at that time. Constant talk about, well, I mean, still fucking constant talk about Hillary Clinton's emails. It never stops. And it's been, I, I mean, it's been, it's been four, five, six years removed, and they're still yammering their sucks about Hillary Clinton's fucking emails. It will never stop. Ugh. Hunter's laptop, Hillary's emails. Yeah. It'll never stop. That's the other thing I see all the time is the, the talk about the Hunter Biden thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, fucking prosecute him. Mm-hmm. Do I think he's shady? Yeah, I fucking think Hunter Biden is shady. If he committed some crimes, round him up. Put him on trial. If he's convicted by a jury of his peers, fine. I don't know any Democrats. I don't know any liberals. I certainly don't know any lefties who are, no, that's just political persecution. no. He's selling paintings for half a million dollars. Hunter Biden? That that doesn't seem on the up and up to me. I don't think Joe Biden has anything to do with it. So if you want to do something, if you committed a crime, investigate. Do your thing. I mean, have you seen his artwork? Do, are you? I have not. Okay. Well, maybe you just don't know. That could be. I'll tell you what. He though. could be a great artiste. Let's 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 regress a little bit here. Even if I was to have seen his artwork, mm-hmm. I probably still wouldn't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm kind of a dumb fuck about that kind of thing. Okay. Well, I mean, I've gone to art museums where I've seen, like, Ikea furniture that wasn't put together, just leaning against a wall, yeah. and people were stopping and like, ooh, ah. What are the underlying <laughs> intentions of the artist? I think this is going back to our conversation about crudite. These things are yeah, connected. Yeah. These things are connected. White trash. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Pence has been working overtime to really distinguish himself from Donald Trump, especially after everything we have learned through the January 6th committee about Donald Trump not caring, about his supporters showing up to the Capitol and saying that Mike Pence should be hanged. Yeah, And he is now floating that he would consider testifying before the January 6th committee. Tonight, former Vice President Mike Pence hinting he may be open to testifying before the January 6th committee. Well, I would, if there was an invitation to participate, I would consider it. Pence, whose top aides have already testified, also seemed to endorse the committee's work. The American people have a right to know what happened that day. And in the months and years ahead, I'll be 
telling my story even more frequently. Pence broke with Mr. Trump after January 6th when rioters called for him to be hanged. Today, he tried to walk a fine line on the Mar-a-Lago search, which has enraged many Republicans, urging the attorney general to release more information, but also calling for a halt on the attacks against law enforcement. And Mr. Pence seemed to tease a possible run for the White House while at a favorite spot for potential candidates. I've never spent a lot of time in New Hampshire, but I may someday. A defiant former President Trump lashing out at the January 6th committee today, saying in the wake of Vice Chair Congresswoman Liz Cheney's defeat overnight, I assume the January 6th committee of political hacks and thugs will quickly begin the beautiful process of dissolution. It all comes as the investigations swirling around the former president are intensifying. Today, Mr. Trump's former attorney, Rudy Giuliani, testified before a grand jury in Atlanta for six hours. It's where he led the president's efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election results. It's clear that the count you have right now is false. Giuliani was told he's the target of the probe. His attorney saying he would invoke attorney-client privilege if asked about conversations with his former boss. Kristen, joining me now. Kristen, tomorrow's shaping up to be a big day into these investigations surrounding the former president. Lester, that right, that's right, it really is. The Florida judge who approved the Mar-a-Lago search warrant will hear arguments over unsealing the affidavit. Mr. Trump wants it released, and so do news outlets, including NBC News. But DOJ says it would be harmful. Meanwhile, Alan Weisselberg, the Trump Organization CFO, is expected to plead guilty to state tax crimes and testify against the Trump Corporation, but not against Mr. Trump. Spoiler alert! He pled guilty! (laughs) (laughs) As you can tell, there's a theme to the show. There's a theme. Listen, it's a good theme that makes me happy because... Finally, there's some consequence that we're 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 seeing the possibility of. It's not just Movement. up in the air. It's not just nebulous. Or oh, don't worry, we'll follow the facts wherever they lead. Blah, blah, blah. We're hearing some things that that might come uh, to serve justice, and that's that's a that's a good fucking thing. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't expect anything more from Mike Pence, honestly, because he is just so milk toast. But I, I don't understand why he isn't being more forceful in his comments about what transpired over January 6th, how he is breaking with Donald Trump. I mean, he still seems reticent to really get into it. Yeah, that wasn't a full-throated um, positive response about testifying before the January 6th committee. He said, if there was a res- uh, an invitation, I would consider it. Mm-hmm. So how about this? Fuck off. We're going to subpoena you. You're now compelled to testify. No invitation needed. Mm-hmm. You fucking. Well, and his top aides have already testified. So right. why not just join the party? Right. Mark Short testified at length and has had his testimony featured during some of the um, public hearings. Right. So. So there's one story that came out this week in the Washington Post that I think hasn't gotten enough attention, specifically because there's so much going on with the Donald Trump yeah, FBI just a raid of Mar-a-Lago. Fire hose on full blast. Yeah, and this is pretty serious, though. The Washington Post is reporting that a team of computer experts, directed by lawyers that were associated with Donald Trump, copied sensitive data from election systems in Georgia as a part of a secret multi-state effort to access voting equipment that was broader, more organized, and more successful than previously reported. 
Washington Post investigative reporter Aaron C. Davis joins us now, one of the journalists who helped break the story. Aaron, good to have you on here. There's, of course, an alarming irony here, right, in that, that after more than a year of arguing, accusing others of somehow attacking or accessing voting data from the Italians to the Venezuelans, here you have evidence that, that Trump allies were doing this. Can you describe how they did this uh, and how widely? Well, yes, thank you for having me. Uh, obviously, some, some shocking things here in these documents. Um, the, the, the biggest new thing that we did learn is, as you said, that entire hard drives of election system software, and these being election systems used to this day across the state of Georgia and elsewhere, uh, were copied and then shared among a constellation of Trump uh, allies. And uh, we, you know, if you look back at those early days after the election, it seemed so frenetic. It seemed as almost <clears throat> anybody, uh, you know, working or interested in trying to support Trump's ideas were just taking on their own uh, volition to do something. These documents show that, in fact, it was organized, that uh, attorneys, one in one case an outside counsel for the Trump campaign, another case Sidney Powell, uh, were directing these uh, computer forensic experts to go into states, and whenever they had the help of a local elections official, to go in there very quickly and copy as much as they possibly could. They did that on a weekend in Michigan. They did that in one day with the blinds closed here in an elections office in South Georgia and potentially other places we don't know of. So, Aaron, how did these outside computer experts even have access to these election mm. machine servers? Well, in the case of Georgia, which is kind of this new one we focus on a lot in the story, uh, you know, a former elections official had told the Post, and we previously reported this, that she'd let in some Trump supporters to try to, you know, prove that, in fact, this election hadn't worked the way it was supposed to. She didn't believe that, that Biden should have won. And so she allowed in, it turns out, uh, a, a person who works in, a, in the bail bondsman uh, business, and then he, in turn, contacted his sources with the Trump campaign. Campaign, and the emails show that ultimately uh, elections officials and a county clerk down there were, were receiving information from this uh, a computer forensics firm that was in touch with a, a former national security official who was on Trump's side, and they all worked together to get this team down there. Uh, on January 7th, <clears throat> in fact, pardon me, it was the day after January 6th, as, you know, as D.C. was just reeling from what had just happened here. There was a team of computer experts driving and flying to Coffee County, Georgia, oh. uh, to obtain elections official uh, information to continue this idea. So this is alarming, and it's a natural consequence of Donald Trump talking about rigged elections all the time, because you have his supporters who believe this, believe that there is vote rigging happening and that it is undermining election yeah. security. And so then they take these actions that are actually undermining election security yeah. as they believe that they are somehow protecting election security. And listen, th this was orchestrated in part by Sidney Powell, who was the one that's saying that uh, Hugo Chavez was responsible, who died years ago, mm -hmm. who, that Venezuela was involved in this. It, it, Italy was involved in this. It It is wildly criminal at the very least state charges should be brought uh but there are absolutely federal statutes this is a conspiracy a criminal conspiracy was entered into to disenfranchise 81 million plus americans and they are endeavoring 
to this day to destroy our democracy. And the Washington Post article really goes into depth talking about the different prongs associated with this effort to overturn the 2020 election. You had this small team of lawyers and security contractors that worked to get the county level equipment and then other people around Donald Trump filed legal challenges. They had protesters in Washington. They were lobbying Congress and Mike Pence to reject Joe Biden's victory. So this was a coordinated effort that goes beyond even what we previously knew. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, We would love to know what you think about these and other items, 657-464-7609. And of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. I would be surprised if it's Andrew Yang's first time in this segment because we have long been not fans of Andrew Yang. I wonder if the listeners hate that or if they love it. I wonder if Jesse D gives a fuck because he loves that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, and listen, the reasons that we, we stopped appreciating Andrew Yang is that he, during the presidential campaign was just not great. I mean, he would make jokes about how he was Asian, so he was good at math on the stage. All of these like Constantly. comments were very weird and strange. He's made statements about Joe Rogan can't be racist because he has black friends or something like that. Isn't that what he said? Yeah, black friends and, and colleagues. He works around black people. Yeah. So well, there- even though Joe Rogan said he went to the Planet of the Apes in a black neighborhood, and it was like Planet of the Apes in the theater. Yeah, so just not not great in terms of his takes. Also, he said everybody... Look, I want people of all political views in, in to be involved in the politics, meaning white supremacists and white nationalists and neo-Nazis. Yeah, everybody. More ideas, the better, according to fucking Andrew Yang. Right, and so now we have Andrew Yang launching his third party, forward party, and this is not going to come as a surprise to people who have been following Andrew Yang, but he's not taking any positions with his third party. On both sides, but you're going to have to come up with policy really positions. Negative results, right? But we Andrew, just need a better system. Yeah, but Andrew, you're going to have to have policy uh, positions at some point. How does the forward party feel about Roe versus Wade? Should it have been overturned? Well, I, I personally uh, think that women's reproductive rights are fundamental human rights. But the forward party has. Uh, not left or right, but forward stance on even the most divisive and contentious issues. Well, what does that mean? Don't you have to take a position on something? You don't you have to take a position of- on something. You can't just say, "Well, I, you well, know, this is a hot button issue, so I'm not going to take a position on you." You know, if you want to run the country, you're going to have to make some hard decisions, Andrew. Uh, again, the forward party is about that common sense consensus majority view, uh, which is very clear on abortion. It's clear what about on guns. What guns. about it's assault clear weapons? On climate change. It's actually clear on just about every issue under the sun. Should 18-year-olds be able to buy AR-15s? Of any of should, because of the nature of our system. Should 18-year-olds be able to buy AR-15s? 
again, the common sense consensus majority is that there should be some uh, rules around background checks and access to, to firearms. But we're not getting any of these things, Jim, because the two-party system does not need to deliver. But it doesn't sound any like you're taking any hard positions. It sounds like you're trade power. It sounds like you're you're sort of a fill-in-the-blank party. You're, you know, if, <laughs> if somebody uh, wants a, a, a party He's with no wrong. clear policy positions, you're it. But unfortunately, in the real world, in the real world, you have to take a position on something. Well, well we're for the common sense consensus. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Jim Acosta from CNN doing a very good job with Andrew Yang. Again, he was saying repeatedly that the positions are clear. It's from yeah. consensus. And yet he could not state what the actual positions are. Well, what's funny is a few days ago he tweeted, this is Andrew from Andrew Yang's account, not like the forward party or whatever the fuck. Quote, I know the two-party system is broken, but dot, 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 unquote. And he says, no more buts. It's past time to fix it, which is hilarious coming on the heels of this very interview Yeah, when he said, well, I personally think that women's reproductive rights are fundamental human rights, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Fuck off. You're selling a book. You named the book the same thing as your fucking third party bullshit. You're in. You're 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 recruiting Republicans to come into the fucking party. You, all you want to do is create a party that is right of the the mainstream Democratic Party already, which is too far right already. We need a left leaning party that has some political teeth. Not a, a watered-down fucking version of the Republicans. Right. And this is the primary problem, is that this is not the time to be doing this yes. at all. And here he is. So is he a friend of the left? Is he a friend no. of progressive policies, progressive politics? It does not appear that way. So I, I hope if you supported Andrew Yang, if you were a fan of Andrew Yang because of his universal basic income ideas, you can still appreciate universal basic income and advocate for that policy, but you don't necessarily need to support the person that really put that yeah. on the map. Also, he didn't invent it. It's not yeah. like his unique idea yeah. and that oh, he's the only one that can get it done because he knows the ins and outs of it. No, yeah. he's just a dumb fuck who came to fame running for president on that particular platform, which, by the way, was his only fucking platform. That's all he had was UBI, $1,200 a month. UBI, $1,200 a month. There's more to policy than fucking UBI. Is that a consensus in the forward party? That is the common sense consensus. Of the Ugh. Fucking gross. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about this. And actually, listen, let me, let me, let me, let me. Bring down the temperature real quick mm. here. If you do, if you are an Andrew Yang fan, you probably uh, Andrew Yang fan. You probably already hung up on the show. But if you're still around, I'd love to know what you think. D do you think he's a he? He's acting in good faith, or is he a grifter, or maybe something else? Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Amber Escadero Contostasis. Wow, that was maybe your best name reading performance. I practiced, and so I hope that I got it correct. 
But she is the... Very sad story here. She's the only survivor of a lightning strike that happened outside of the White House, actually, here in D.C., in Lafayette Park. We had a, a crazy lightning storm a couple of weeks ago. Insane lightning storm. And four people hit under a tree. And, um, like, a, a couple that was celebrating their, their, like, 50th anniversary. Another person. And then Amber. And three of the four have died. And Amber is taking care of Biz because of I think you'll I think you'll get it when you hear her talk, but she's the sole survivor and she's really struggling with that fact because like you said four people got hit, she's the sole survivor and I think she's she's using this to move forward with compassion and empathy for others. Amber Escudero-Contestat has suffered second-degree burns all along the left side of her body and now relies on a walker. She says she doesn't remember much about the lightning strike, but she hasn't forgotten the care she received as she spent five days in the hospital recovering or the strangers, she says, saved her life. I don't feel good about being the only survivor, that's for sure. I'm grateful, but I just don't feel good about being the only one. It happened right across the street from the White House. Six lightning bolts seen in this footage strike within half a second, hitting four people, including Amber Escadero Contestathus. I was just surprised to learn that I was struck at all. I didn't really fully comprehend it at first. Amber was in Lafayette Square doing fundraising work for the International Rescue Committee, waiting on her husband to pick her up for dinner to celebrate her 28th birthday. But as that storm rolled in, she and three strangers took shelter under a tree. I always thought like a tree would, if it were hit by lightning, would catch on fire and he'd run from the fire. But there was no time. The lightning killing 29-year-old Brooks Lambertson, who was in town on business, along with James and Donna Mueller, who were celebrating their 56th anniversary. Amber, the sole survivor. I don't know why I survived. I just don't think it's fair. The last thing she remembers that day is talking to that couple. I remember talking to them about Wisconsin because we went there for a family reunion. And I remember um, asking them how their time was out here. I just hoped I didn't stop them to talk again. I hope they weren't there because of me. One thing Amber thinks may have helped her, her shoes. I was wearing my platform sandal Doc Martens that have humongous rubber soles. Um, They definitely didn't save my life, but I definitely think that it contributed to potentially less of a burn. Today, she keeps those shoes close, so close, she wore them to our interview. We got the chance to be there for the reunion with the two Good Samaritans Amber credits with saving her life. I'm Jesse. Can I give you a hug? Amber, yes, please. Hi. Nolan Haggard and Jesse Bonte traveled from Texas back to D.C. to meet Amber for the first time. The emergency room nurses immediately performed CPR alongside Secret Service agents. I worked on all three other people, and and she worked on you and a couple of others because we had to move around. I got your first pulse back. I got it back on you twice. I mean, I remember holding your hand, and you're, like, gripping it really tight, and you lost your pulse again. Amber, grateful for the chance to thank them. If it weren't for all of you guys, I wouldn't be here. I owe you everything. I'm just so grateful for you guys. She's learned not to take even the smallest things for granted. I died and came back, I think. I don't think I had a heartbeat for some time. You don't know when 
your last day might be. What she does know is she is lucky and grateful to be alive. And despite her near-death experience, she continues to help others. Even though she can't go back to work yet, she's continuing to fundraise for charity online. And that's what she was doing before she got struck by lightning. She was canvassing for Threshold Giving, which is a grassroots organization that fundraises for nonprofits like the International Rescue Committee. And... You can hear it in her voice that she's really struggling with the fact that she is the only survivor and she doesn't understand why. And I think a lot of times when we hear these stories in popular media, you will hear people kind of start trying to make sense of why they survived and they'll maybe talk about how God chose them and God saved them for a reason. And and I think that's a common There's another side to that coin, though. Yeah, there is, but she's not saying that. She's saying that she doesn't understand why she was chosen. She's saying she's lucky to be alive. And she's using language that I think is healthier for people to hear in the aftermath of situations like this, especially the family members of those who, who died. Because if you imagine that Amber, instead of talking about how lucky she is or how she doesn't know why she's she's the survivor, if she did say something like, well, God chose me and God saved me. The family members of the three people who died may be thinking, well, what about my family members? I mean... Were they not good enough? Right. And so it leads to some complicated, difficult questions and thoughts that survivors have, uh, or surviving family members of those who, who passed. So I appreciate that she is... Moving forward with compassion and empathy and continuing to do the important work. I hope she's okay. Yeah, I do hope she's okay too because it seems like she's really struggling. But I I hope that she gets the help that she needs and can really work through this and process it. And I'm sure it's going to take some time. I mean, this just happened August 4th and she's already doing interviews and and talking about this experience. Meeting with the people. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. And and Pretty good remarkable. for them. Good for them too. The good Samaritans who who stopped and and helped everybody who who got struck by lightning. It's just a terrible situation. Terrible situation. But the fact that she is continuing to fundraise, continuing to do good work, and not letting this experience stop her from acting on her compassion and empathy, I think is a is a positive message. Without a doubt. We would love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. Email us. I doubt it at dollamore.com. We're going to leave you there. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for your support, your listenership, your loyalty to the show. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.